You are listening to the Actor Aesthetic Podcast, episode 83, featuring special guest and current cast member of Broadway's Wicked, Brett Shuford. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? This is Maggie Vera, and welcome to another episode of the Actor Aesthetic Podcast. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome. The Actor Aesthetic Podcast is produced every single week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at actoraesthetic.com slash podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Actor Aesthetic, or join our Facebook group, The Actor Aesthetic Tribe. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get on to the show. Still stuck at home in quarantine? You're not alone, but you can get ahead of the game by grabbing a copy of my ebook, Marketing 101 for Actors, an actor's guide to successful branding. I'm taking you step-by-step through the most important marketing strategies and branding techniques you need in order to succeed as an actor in 2020. I'm talking headshots, resumes, postcards, audition material, websites, and of course, social media. Simply go to actoraesthetic.com forward slash marketing to grab your copy today. Hi, friends. It's Maggie, and I am flipping out over this episode. I'm so excited for you to tune in today because we have a very special guest, Brett Shuford. He is an eight-time Broadway vet and also entrepreneur of his own business, Broadway Life Coach. Some of its Broadway credits include Wicked, Cirque du Soleil's Paramore, Amazing Grace, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Beauty and the Beast, and The Little Mermaid. Other New York credits include Actors Fund Benefit Performances of a Wonderful Life, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, On the 20th Century, and The Radio City Christmas Spectacular. He also was on the national tour of South Pacific and in Next Normal at the Adirondack Theater Festival. He has sung with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, Pittsburgh Symphony, Baltimore Symphony, and the Fort Worth Symphony. And not only that, but he's been seen on TV and in web series, including Law & Order SVU, Alpha House, Submissions Only, and My Dirty Little Secret. His film credits include The Wolf of Wall Street, Bed Billows, and... Uncle Melvin's apartment. I mean, with a resume like that, you can be sure that Brett has so many incredible tips and advice that he shares on this episode, all about how to pursue a career in this industry for the long run. Brett is also the founder of the Broadway Life Coach, which we will get into more depth about in the episode. Y'all ready? I'm so excited. All right, sit back. Relax and enjoy our chat. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell me where you are currently in quarantine? Hi. Yes, Maggie. I'm so happy to talk to you. I just love everything (laughs) you do. Um, I'm currently in Pittsburgh, like a suburb, like right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. I escaped uh, Manhattan about a month ago. And where were you living in Manhattan at that time? Uh, my husband and I lived in the East Village on 2nd Avenue between 7th and 8th Street, like right next door to Stomp. So I know you grew up in Texas. Very, very different lifestyle from New York City, as you know very well. 
Can you tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in theater? Well, I was, I have three brothers. I have a twin brother and we're the youngest. And I was just six years old and saw, I was in love with the movie Annie. (laughs) And I saw a live production of it and didn't realize that you could actually in human form, not just on film, seeing in in life. And I was like, that's what I want to do at six. (laughs) And started doing community theater at the in Beaumont, Texas, Beaumont Community Players, in Port Arthur, Texas, in uh, Orange, Texas, where I eventually went to high school. I was just that kid. I was president of the drama club and president of the choir club and sing, singing in all the state competitions and one night play competitions and doing dance competitions. And I was just passionate about doing all of that all at once. Broadway felt really far away from Beaumont, Texas. And I had brothers who were playing football and baseball. Like there was no, there was no example of that for me. There was no one I knew that had done that. So it was this dream, like, how do I get out of here? How do I be on Broadway? How do I get to hmm. New York? So you eventually went to, you went to Wagner, yes, for college? Well, actually, my first two years of college, I went to uh-huh. University of Oklahoma. No way. Okay. I did. So my parents didn't want me to go to New York yet. They were too nervous yeah. about me becoming a Yankee. So they, <laughs> <laughs> they made me stay closer to home. I ended up getting a scholarship to OU. I did my first two years at OU, but I really wanted to be in New York. So what I were you studying at OU? Musical theater. And I was then... in the BFA program. Yeah, I had this really interesting, unique experience in college of doing two years of a BFA program yeah. and then doing two years of a liberal arts BA program, oh, which okay. was kind of interesting and two, very two different experiences where, mm. um, where the, the liberal arts program at Wagner really provided this education outside of performing that I wasn't having really at OU and I think helped really feed me a little bit more as an actor you know Mm, yeah you would say that's like the biggest difference between studying a BA versus a BFA yeah I mean the degree it's the degree doesn't really matter as much as the curriculum yeah because you do have to look at the curriculum and see what they're providing but that my experience at Wagner I was taking religion classes and philosophy classes, mm. and I was taking these, these things that were required there that I didn't have to take at the mm. BFA program. I just had to get those basic requirements there. Okay, so then you made that transition to Wagner. And to say that a boy, like a blonde haired, <laughs> blue eyed kid from Texas, <laughs> now is like immersed in Staten Island culture. <laughs> was a culture shock is like an understatement. I went through such culture shock that first year. Well, and the thing I like to like help people understand culturally, the difference really is that in the South, everyone is polite and on the surface, very kind and very friendly. So no one actually says what's really going on. They're just, you know, you know, it's that whole thing. And I, and I mean this like with so much affection, like the people would say, bless her heart. Oh, bless your heart, oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. but you move to New York and everyone's like, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Like everyone's <laughs> very, <laughs> there's no mincing words. It's very direct. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate that. But at the time it was very intimidating. Like if I was smiling, they'd be like, what are you smiling about? You know, <laughs> I'm just happy. They're just, <laughs> 
It's so funny. We had the exact opposite experience because then I went out to Texas State and I was like, why are people being so nice to me? I like immediately thought there was some like agenda that they had because they were so kind. I remember someone like picking up a bottle of waters for me at like a Walmart down south and I was like, sir you don't need to sir please don't do that for me I got that don't you worry it's just everyone was so kind and so loving and it's so true like now if I when I leave New York if I go to like a Starbucks and they're so nice to like hi how are you I love your shirt immediately I'm like what do they want what do they want from me (laughs) that New Yorker I believe that I believe that (laughs) I believe it. So then you graduated. When did you graduate from WAC? I graduated 2001. 2001. Okay. Yeah. And you were still in Staten Island? Yeah. So my senior year, I, I always spent my summers working professionally. So I did summer gotcha. stock at Lyric Theater, mm-hmm. at Music Theater Wichita. I did, um, I actually did the first Vegas production of Footloose, the musical between my junior and senior year. And then my senior year, one of the beauties of being able to go to school in New York City was that I ended up booking uh, a show at Paper Mill Playhouse my senior year. And Mm -hmm. so I was able to rehearse for Paper Mill and finish my studies my last month of my senior year. In New York. Hmm. In New York. And I got my equity card and immediately um, was working at Paper Mill that summer. And it was really cool i mean mean, who doesn't want to get their equity card from paper mill playhouse the quality of shows that they put on there are broadway they just happen to be in new jersey you know Mm -hmm. they happen to be 45 minutes away okay so you were booking a lot during your time at school still yeah um what were those auditions like because at the time i imagine did you have an agent yet or were you just going to auditions in the city while you were studying i was going to auditions wherever i could yeah. So, you know, I was went to school at OU, so I went to Lyric Theater's auditions and Wichita's right. auditions. Mm-hmm. And I just was that person who, instead of going to Cancun for spring break, I stayed in the dorms. Yeah. And I, you know, you went drove to drove out to these places and yeah. Or I, you know, I went to BDC and took classes on yeah. the weekends if I could. And I remember it was, I booked Footloose over spring break my junior mm. year. And then my senior year, it was the same thing. Paper Mill was auditioning. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Paper Mill, this is a good story, actually, yeah. is that the choreographer for Carousel at Paper Mill that year was a guy named Robert LaFosse, who was a New York City ballet dancer who was from Beaumont, Texas. And wow. I had gone to his, the ballet school that he went to when he was a kid in Beaumont. And so when I went to the audition, I just went up to him after the dance call and just said, hey, I want to tell you I'm from Beaumont. And it so put smart. me on his radar so that he could kind of push it to casting into everyone and then they cast yeah. me on my equity card. I mean, it was just one of those things. That's really important because there's a, you know, there, there needs to be a fine line between being over the top and like... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like pushy needy and yeah, needy <laughs> and pushy in that sense, but then being smart about it too. Just being smart yeah. about making that connection because those little com- connections go such a long way. Well, and I think that's one of the things I notice a lot when, when I'm coaching my own, you know, client clients is that mm-hmm. they, they censor themselves. They're afraid yeah. to come off salesy, to come off pushy. 
And the truth is, if you're like, if you're afraid you're that person, you're not that person. Good point. Because those point. people who are pushing you're you aren't aware. even aware, right? <laughs> so the fact that you're even aware is is half the battle. So then you can just let go of that and actually go, how do I connect with this person? How do I be mm. a human being with this person? And sometimes it's as simple right now, especially as just saying, hey, I, we're all going through this thing right now. How are you doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Did you eventually find an apartment in New York that was yeah. like in Midtown or like besides Staten Island? Were you able to, to transition? I ended up, so that first year I ended up, there was a professor from college Mm -hmm. at OU who had an apartment in Midtown in Hell's Kitchen who he was now needing to sublet. So I was like, hey, I, he's like, I'd rather have somebody I know stay here. So what can you pay? So he gave me like this really cheap rate. Amazing. It was great. 43rd and 9th. It was Mm -hmm. great. So I would, you know, get up and get put myself on the equity lists and for EPAs and things. And then come go home and shower and warm up and yeah it was like (laughs) that was really nice in fact the choreographer from carousel robbie was choreographing a show in philly and i ended up getting cast in that and got my equity weeks which was cool but we were in rehearsals for that when 9-11 happened whoa so i was in the city i was actually headed to an audition the morning of 9-11 at Union Square, and I saw the second plane hit the second tower. Wow! And the audition was with Craig Burns, and we are we are bonded for life over that. Every yeah, time I see, never you know, that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow! So that was an interesting time, and I bring that up really only just to say, like, we got through that. We got through yeah, that time, did. and we'll get through this. You know, I realized it, I was living alone in the sublet apartment in Hell's Kitchen. That was no good for me. That was just mm-hmm. not a good, I'm too much of a people person. I grew up with, <laughs> like I said, with three brothers. I always had people around me. Yeah. So I ended up moving in with three of my best friends from college. We ended up getting a place in Astoria. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess and I went on tour. Mm-hmm. I did the tour of Sound of Music. I played Rolf. And when I came back from the tour... <laughs> When I came back from the tour, <laughs> I moved in with my best friend, Scott Barnhart, who was an original cast of Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. and, um, and our friend Jackie and Jeff, and that, that was probably the best decision. But I, no, I, I didn't feel like I wanted to leave. Yeah. I actually felt the opposite. I was like, this is my home. Yeah. I'm ready to, I feel attached to New York City right now. This is my Belie- place. I believe that because an experience like that really brings not only you closer to the city but you closer to the people around you the Mm -hmm. the residents of new york it's like everyone is is in it together just like what we're going through right now so now you said you lived in hell's kitchen you lived in astoria staten island (laughs) staten island he lived in staten island uh um east village and i lived in washington heights for in washington um, heights i don't know it sounds maybe like where you were at in that time of your life each of those apartments served you well would you agree i think astoria was probably the best place for me at that time i you know the thing with new york these these neighborhoods change so swiftly yeah they do you know, and the prices change so swiftly, you know, mm. but uh, those years in Astoria were the best. I, that's where mm. I met, you know, that's when I met Steven and fell in love. And yeah. that's when I booked my first Broadway show was living in that apartment. And there was, there was some, Astoria has this like quaint 
everything's like nothing's taller than six stories yeah the prices i don't know what they're like now but at the time were perfect for what i was trying to do i think and they're still pretty good and it's it's also i imagine really nice to be able to get away get away from the city it is not, you know and also like it's not far to Midtown. Like when you're yeah. going from Brooklyn, I know for me, commuting to Midtown from Washington Heights, I hated. I don't think I hated it. The only reason I didn't like it was because I remember how easy it was from Astoria. Hmm. It was really easy from Astoria. Mm-hmm. You could get to Midtown 20, 30, you know, 20 minutes. Yeah. I would usually have to give myself an hour from Washington Heights. Wow. It makes a difference, makes a difference mm. in the city, especially when you're getting up, say you're going to EPAs, ECCs, say you're not even, I mean, for you, you were equity, but I mean, think about how many actors in the city are non-equity. I mean, it really makes a difference, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that because I always think that's fascinating to hear about and it differs so much from performer to performer, but it helps hearing that information, especially when you're new to the city. Yeah, just, and don't feel like you have to, like, do some big major thing. I sublet for the first three or four years after yeah. college. Yeah. I didn't have to buy furniture. I didn't have yeah. to, like, do anything. I just helped some friends out, and it helped me. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Good to know. I'm curious. So I know that you have created Broadway Life Coach, but before that, and we'll talk about that in a second, which I'm really excited to talk about. Before yeah. that, when you were not performing, were there any survival jobs that you were picking up in between? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I Give them to me. Okay. Let's see. Where do I start? <laughs> I, you know, I, in between the working regionally, I would um, do sample sales. That was amazing because it was, a, it was 10 out of 9 work, so it was totally, um, it didn't affect your unemployment. And there, I would work like Karen Olivo and I would work shifts together, you know, I love that. before she ever did in the Heights, you know, we would have <laughs> these 12 hour, 10 hour shifts together <laughs> that were not glamorous in any way. Uh-huh. And, and that's bonded her and her and me for life. Like every time I see her, we're like, remember? <laughs> and so I did that for a while. And then I waited tables at a restaurant. I was terrible at it terrible mm-hmm. at waiting tables. I tried catering for a while. I was mm-hmm. not great at that. I only did that a few times. And then I ended up remembering, I had this moment, this is kind of how I got into entrepreneurship. And yeah. I had this moment where I remembered I really loved scenic painting in college. I was really good at it. Ooh, okay. And I had a, an affinity for it. And I thought, well, I could paint. Like, that's something I would be good at. I like doing. So yeah. I started telling people, like I did the Easter bonnet, like the opening number for the Easter bonnet and then uh-huh. rehearsals. This girl was like, I need my apartment painted. I was like, I'll paint your apartment. And she was like in Chicago at the time. <laughs> and I helped her pick out her colors and I went and painted her apartment. And I started this whole business um, painting apartments. And wow. I loved it. Oh. Loved it. But then I booked... I booked, um, I guess it was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was my first mm-hmm. Broadway show. And in Which that I show, saw. Dan- I think I saw that. Mm-hmm. Stop it. I certainly did. You were like four. <laughs> I probably was. <laughs> it was so long ago. I, I was are, probably like 10. <laughs> you, were, you were the ideal demographic for that show. <laughs> um, 
but we danced so hard in that show that trying to paint an apartment all day for like six hours or eight hours and then go do a show was impossible. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was not a sustainable business for someone who wants to do eight shows a week. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But Interesting I to hear about though, because that is, I mean, it's hard to to sustain that and a Broadway career, but there are ways of doing it. And so now yeah. I'm interested to talking a little bit more about um, the Broadway Life Coach because you've you figured it out. You have something that you are so passionate about that you can pursue just as hard as you do as an actor. So can you just tell me what your inspiration was behind creating it and when, you know, when that started to, when you started sure. to sprout ideas for it? Yeah. So I was in The Little Mermaid, original cast. Yeah. And I remember there was a moment backstage where I was looking at um, uh, Rest of Soul, uh, Merwin Ford, who just mm. recently passed away, who was just an amazing human. Mm. And we're, he's dressed as a blowfish <laughs> and we're in the wings. He's dressed as a blowfish. I'm dressed as a stingray. We're about to make our <laughs> we're about to make our entrance in under the sea. Uh-huh. And it was just one of those days. I think we had been open for six months and it was a Saturday matinee. And I was just having a day. We all like yeah. you just go through that with any job, especially when it's long running. And I said to him, Do you did you ever think this is where your career would be? Hmm. And he looked at me and he said, This isn't a career, it's a job. Hmm. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like oh my God, he's so right. Yeah. Like, how do I shift my perception of that? How do I shift this negative feeling I'm having, which everyone goes through? And also the thing that I realized too is before I booked a Broadway show, I used to think it was ridiculous when people people in shows would complain about their experience and I'd be like mad at them. But I understood a little bit from the other side because you were missing the creative outlet. It, beca- it becomes a job. It, it yep. moves from career to job. And I thought, wow, where is the place where those people can go and talk about their career? Where's the place where those people can go and talk about their feelings, their fears, their frustrations without being judged, without feeling like, you know, if I, if I complain about my job, I'm ungrateful, which is not true you're, mm-hmm. you're allowed to complain that complain about it but you also have to do something about it how do you change your perception of it and i just started to dive more into that and and practices to just be more empowered and self and understand that my fulfillment doesn't lie on the other end of this job yeah that if i'm actually fulfilled in my life that the job will just i'll be able to just see the job as a job and show up from a place of fulfillment yes, and not expect the job to do that for me, mm-hmm. you know? So then I got my certification. Yeah. And I, I started the, the life coach business and it's been an evolution. And there are times where it is, it's, you know, when I joined Wicked in November, yeah. I, I'm a swing. I had to learn yeah. eight, <laughs> eight tracks. There's no way I had time to coach anybody outside yeah. of rehearsal. So it's a balance trying to run a business and be an actor at the same time. I mean, it makes so much sense, your, what you offer. I know that you offer a lot of consultations and courses and uh, one-on-one coachings with a very 
specific demographic of people who are often overlooked because we expect we expect a certain thing from them. We expect a certain quality from Broadway actors to be humble about what they do and to never complain. And because from an outsider looking in, it's like, well, why, just like you said earlier, why would you, why, how could you complain about this? How could you, you know, you have it, you have everything you want. Well, there, that doesn't mean that you can't be frustrated. And Well, because I'll tell you what happens. You booked that first Broadway show mm-hmm. and you know, for me, there was always this magical thing around Broadway, watching the Tony Awards as a kid. And wow, that's the best of the best of the best. And that's, and then you get into that world and you realize, yeah. oh, it's a business. <laughs> oh, it's not necessarily like the best. It's what's going to make the most money. Yeah. And that's not to crush dreams, but it's to understand that, you know, that's a huge, when your dream, when your dream becomes a reality and you see that maybe those things, it's a huge letdown. And where do you, where did those people go? Where did the people who get that job and then think, now what? Go. Yeah. What are some of the problems or, or things that you find often appear with clients um, that you have through this service? What are you, what are you constantly, what are the, the, the similar questions that you're often getting from them or problems that you're often I I mean, I've worked with so many, like I've worked with casting directors who Hmm. just want to help expand their business. I've worked with producers who just want to know, you know, how to feel like and believe in their projects. But I think the thing I'm, I mostly get are the, you know, someone who's currently a swing who thought like, now I'll become the principal and that I'll get promoted. And they've been there for five years and mm. they don't understand why they've never been promoted. And they're re- carrying a resentment and they're thinking that, you know, they're blaming themselves and they go through this whole thing of, and, and helping them understand that they have a, they have a choice, helping them trust that if they're not happy, they can leave, they can find another thing right. that there's, that the universe is abundant and that, that, they don't, they're not beholden to this. They don't owe this job anything. Yeah. And freeing them up to start to think outside the box. Maybe it's, maybe they actually come to terms with, oh, I'm actually fine here. I just need to start my own side hustle. Or yeah. maybe they're, right? It's, but they just can't see past They're just that. not getting fulfilled from that. Again, outside looking in, I mean, I've been an understudy in a swing a couple of times, but like, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to do that and to do it really well. And so I have so much respect for swings and understudies that are incredible at what they do. In my mind, I say, you are a unique type of person that is so important to our business, you know? Right. But I've never been, I've never been a swing. I, I've always been the kind of person who I'm open. Like, yeah. I've, I've been a print. I was on a principal contract in my last Broadway show and now I'm on a, I'm a swing. And I just think I want to know, I want to know, like, I may not be a great swing. I have no idea. <laughs> they, you know, but I'm willing to try and I'm willing to yeah. work for it. And, and I think that there, that's a hard thing for some people who go, I'm a principal player. Yeah. I'm only going to do principal roles. And and there's nothing wrong with that. 
you have to own that if that's what you want to do, but then you also have to swallow everything that comes with that. Good point. Right. Really good point. So your hubby is also a performer. Yeah. And you guys are so sweet. Can you, um, you know, what is it like having a significant other in the industry? Because I've talked to many people who do not have one. They have one in a completely different industry and it's good for them. It just, you know, depends on on the type of person you are. But what's it like for you guys? It's never boring. It's always creative. He is... Stephen was a principal dancer for New York City Ballet for years. And so he comes from a totally different background. Mm. He then transitioned into theater. He was Billy Elliot in in the original, he was the older Billy in the original Billy Elliot, and then continued to stay in musical theater land forever. He just did Hello Dolly with Learn. So that's that, those moments have been so nice. Like when I was doing Little Mermaid, he got Billy Elliot, and our stage doors were literally across the street. So we could, yeah. That's it was the dream like the little gay dream you know of mine <laughs> my husband works across the street and that's only happened now that happened with little mermaid and billy elliot and then when i was doing amazing grace he was doing on the town and those were a block apart mm-hmm. and then when he was doing hello dolly i was doing paramore so we were able mm-hmm. to lord sort of have um those those moments are really nice we're on the same schedule we are making good money. Yeah. But then there's those moments too where, you know, I wish he had a, a an M- I wish he was an MD so that we, yeah. we could pay our bills <laughs> in between things. So, but if he was an MD, I don't think we'd have as much fun because the conversations wouldn't be as creative, you know, mm-hmm. not to say that MDs aren't, but <laughs> I think for us, we've always, it's always been an adventure. We started a podcast called the Broadway Husbands Podcast. Um, a couple years ago to sort of bring visibility to LGBT mm. marriage and to people who live a life in the arts together because yeah. it is its own set of rules and challenges, you know? I know. You have great episodes in there. I know you have one on um, parenting in this industry and that in itself is fascinating because it seems so so difficult to do, but really, really uh, inspiring listening to stories of, of that nature. Well, you know, growing up in Texas, everyone would always say, oh, you can't, you can't raise a kid in New York. You can't raise a kid doing what you do. And, and there's all these people who are actually doing it and doing it really, really well well. and are very successful. (laughs) And where are they? Like, I never saw them as a kid. So I'm yeah. hoping that's my goal. And we want to have a kid. That's our big plan of ours in the near mm. future. So we want to create a space where people like you, like me, when we were in mm. high school, could, could go, oh, see, they're doing it. I can do that too. Absolutely. Because so many times you're told, well, you're going to have to, have to sacrifice a lot of things. And yes, you are in a way, but you would in any career. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't pursue your dreams and also pursue a family and stability and there's, there's a way to do it. So I love that you guys are highlighting that. Yeah. And the thing I want to just like say to that is people would always say quality of life. There's, you'll hear Hmm. that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, your quality of life in New York, your quality of life, but who's, who's quality, who's, who are you basing that value on? You're basing that value on other people's standards. Yeah. And to me, the quality of life in New York city 
is like no other. You're exposed to so much that you cannot get anywhere else. And, or even Los Angeles too. I mean, it's the same thing. If you're, if you're going to be an actor, mm-hmm. the communities of actors within those worlds are like no other. You're not going to get that really anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the quality of life I want. My last question for you. What advice would you give to young performers who want a career in this business? Think of this in the long term. Yeah. You can set short-term goals for yourself, but understand that every audition is not about that job. Every casting director meeting is not about them liking you or hiring you. It's about building relationships over time and knowing that you're in this for the long haul. And so what I learned from so many people who were like, I got to get that Broadway show by the time I'm 24, but I'm here to tell you that you're going to get there and then be like, what next? Mm -hmm. So think about how can you be satisfied now in this moment, knowing that it's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So if you're committed to this for the long haul, then every moment of meeting someone is just making a new connection in your web of support you're new and allowing people and inviting people to be a, to be along for this lifelong party that you're starting. And if they want to join the party, great. And if they don't, no problem. You're, but you're here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Yep. I say, I, I feel like I, I'm like a broken record that way too. Always. I even have to convince that to myself. It's like, you're in it for the long haul. Even when you don't get the job, even when you don't, you don't, you make it to final callbacks, you don't book the big job, or you are constantly getting called back in by the same casting director, but you never quite get it. There are reasons why you're getting that far. It's just a matter of remembering that and knowing that you're in it for the long haul and that, yep, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, as long as you, as long as you think of it that way. Yeah. I think so many times it's like, well, I didn't get the job. But you had that third callback, which is a huge win. Think about how many people who've been in New York for years who can't even get that far. Yeah. And if you can't be grateful for those things and you can't acknowledge those as success, it's going to be really hard to acknowledge the success when it does happen. (laughs) You're so right. You're so right. Hmm. I have a lot to think about today. I'm very inspired by this chat. If you haven't already noticed, you guys. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Brett, so much for sharing your time. I know that this is a really crazy time that we're living in, but I appreciate you and I appreciate all you do. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks for everything you do. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you found it helpful, I would love it if you could screenshot it, tag at Actor Aesthetic, and share it to your Instagram stories so that I can see who is following along with me there. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and also hit that subscribe button so that you can join me every single week for a brand new episode of the Actor Aesthetic podcast. Until then, this is Maggie Barrow signing off. It takes a village. I'll see you next week.